All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of Growing with My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined as always by an amazing panel. And I'll pass it over first this week to Spartan Grown. Welcome back. Thanks, Jack. Uh, hello, everybody. I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. Lots of pretenders, but that's the only account I have, just the Instagram account. Um, if you don't have Instagram, you can still get a hold of me through email at spartangrown at gmail.com. I can help you with both synthetic and, uh, and uh, I can't even think of it, organic kind of brain fire, synthetic or organic farming. I've done both. We'll get your update because maybe not everybody here saw the GML uh, because you change slight wording on that intro and uh, you can't say what you used to be able to say for your intro, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. And next up, Matthew Gates. Hey everyone, my name is Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist. Um, if you have questions or want some help with pests, you can find me professionally at zenthanol.com. You can also find me on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, and also on my Instagram and Twitter accounts, which is at sync, as in synchronize angel, S-Y-N-C-H-A-N-G-E-L. Always good to spell it out on occasion so the people that uh, don't know can get the accurate account information. So thank you, Matthew, and welcome back. Next up, Dr. MJ. Hey guys, I am Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. And yeah, you can find me at CocoForCannabis.com or on my YouTube channel on Dr. MJ Coco. And uh, I'm excited for another show. We are happy to have you back. And next up, Noah V. Groa. How's it going, everybody? Um, yeah, I'm Noah Thigrow on Instagram, two E's. You can find me there and most weeks here with Grow With My Fellow Growers and uh, happy to be here and back with all of you guys. Always happy to have you back. And next up, I saw him jump in uh, just a second ago, uh, Russ Brandon. What's going on, everybody? I am actually driving home. Me, Potent Ponics, and Jordan Rivers from Growcast. We're all mushroom hunting. And we found some mushrooms and it was good. It's a good haul. So I figured I'd pop in and, you know, join you guys for a little bit while we're heading back home. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Cheers. Hey, Jackie. Grow up, the, guys. The secretly uh, crossover episode with Growcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, next up, oh. we've got uh, our final, last but certainly not least, as always, the American one. Hey, Jack, panel, and everyone uh, in chat, as well as Poe and Ponix and Jordan from GrowCast. It's good uh, to be here and good to see you all or hear you all or read what you're writing. Um, I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. <clears throat> if you want to uh, check in, you can find me there. And yeah, just look, put uh, if you search the American one on IG, little guy with an American top hatch pop up and that would be me. So yeah, it's good to be here. Good to have you back. I'm just clicking on over to live chat on my phone. If you're trying to get my attention, you could tag at cheap home grow and I'll see that on my computer or at Jack green stock to show up on my phone. And that goes for any of the panelists here. If you want to get our attention in the YouTube chat, uh, make sure you go over to live so you can see all the comments. But as we kind of alluded to a little bit in the intro, if you didn't see the GML show this week, Spartan Grown has uh, some news that I think this community may not all have heard about yet. So um, without further ado, I guess I'll pass it to you, Spartan Grown, and you can give us a little bit of the rundown of kind of what happened at your workplace. Sure. Yeah, I, um, I made an announcement on GML yesterday, and um, 
I also made a post on my Instagram a few days ago. It was a little bit cryptic, but here's the, the truth of the matter and everything. Long story short, everybody here probably knows my hatred for the MCMA, which is a lobby group here in Michigan that's using lobby money from the biggest corporations in cannabis and commercial cannabis to lobby the government to reduce home grow rights for Michiganders, especially specifically caregivers. That's the market I came from. That's what I'll always be, whether I have that tag on me or not. And um, so to me, that's just a no-no. Well, if it came to, came to my attention that at work, we sold some product and it was just one shipment to my knowledge, but one shipment to Flourish, which is an MCMA dispo basically here in, in Michigan. And I was not okay with it. And I had a conversation with the owner and uh, decided to walk away because it didn't sound like to me from, from his response that uh, it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen again. So I can't grow weed for the MCMA. I can't have my name on that. So I walked away and that's, that's where I met with that, but I'm just going to take probably a couple of weeks off to relax for, to sit back, relax for a little bit. I am lucky enough to have set myself up well. My house is paid for, my car is paid for, and uh, I can afford to, so I'm going to. And then uh, I'll just kind of see what uh, floats my way. I've already had offers coming in my, uh, my inbox. I'm not sure if uh, I'll take one or any of them, but uh, I'll, de I'll definitely entertain them. I'm not going to just close the door, but uh, it would have to be a position that I felt pretty comfortable that I wouldn't have to run into this again. So in cannabis, that's going to be difficult in Michigan, but it's not impossible. You're never out of options until you stop looking. And I always support somebody who uh, has morals and stands by them. And one of those, the key factor, I guess, is what you talked about and what we're going to be talking about tonight, which is growing uh, home growers rights, caregivers rights. And uh, I'll pass it over to you first, because we've got a great panel tonight. We're going back to basics and you uh, talked about how you can tell people about organic or synthetic, but I think maybe we could start with your home grow because you're an organic guy and maybe you could tell us a little bit how uh, you get your plant started. What's your grow medium like? Uh, Can I just jump in before forms? we get off, off that? And, and just, you know, I, I wanted to not go without saying that it's really admirable to, to make a personal sacrifice like that for something that you believe in. Um, it, it's one thing to, to sort of believe in causes and, and prefer them over other outcomes. But it's really something else to, you know, we all know that you like the job and you cared about working there. And, and that's a, a big sacrifice. So um, I'm impressed with that. And I just wanted I, to make sure that was clear. 100% second that. And uh, I've also been boycotting the MCMA. I don't purchase any of their products. Fortunately, I don't work with any uh, companies that I'm not like walking away from my business because I don't work with any uh, related. But I'm trying my best out here in California to not support them because I hate the idea that um, lobbyist groups are being supported with the money to basically fight against one of the things I believe in the strongest, which is everyone deserves the right to grow at home and should be empowered with that. And that's one of the big reasons I want to get that information out there tonight as much as possible. Yeah. I want to say the same. And I want to say a lot of people talk and uh, it's good to see someone actually uh, walk the walk with their verbiage. They line up and Spartan, I commend you. And yeah, you know, that, that means more than uh and having a bank full of money in my book, you know, a man of his word is worth more than a lot. Well, thanks guys. Really appreciate that. And really it was just a, it was a selfish decision really in my part. I, I would rather be happy than rich. 
and that was what it came down to. And I, it would have been very lucrative for me to stay because we kept getting bonuses and bonuses. And, and, you know, I, I don't know from, to me that, that made me feel slimy. How can I be bonused on this crap? And then as I know that it's going part, part of that money's also going towards, you know, reducing home grow rights. It's just, I can't do that. So for sure, you know, it was a hard, it was definitely a hard choice for me just because it was a job that I enjoyed, but, um, in the end, I would not have been happy. So I was really just running to happiness. That's, that's really the decision was. I'm with you there. No amount of money in the world is worth sacrificing your happiness. And we got to enjoy the journey. You never know if today's your last day or if you got 10, 20, 50 years left. So you should be happy along the way. And uh, I think it's extremely admirable, your uh, outlook. And I think I saw Noah unmute over there. So I want to let him jump in because you can't see him. I was just going to say, life's short, man. Enjoy the ride. 100%. Exactly. And actions speak louder than words. And I think your actions are definitely, uh, you know, representing exactly what you stand for. So cheers to that. And uh, on the growing subject, uh, in your own garden, are you more of a seed guy, clone guy? How do you get it started? And uh, what's your medium like? I'm probably 50-50 when it comes to am I a seed guy or a clone guy? Because I, let's get this straight. I love phenol hunting. That's one of my favorite things to do. So I'm always going to be popping seeds. But if I find a phenol that I like, I want to keep that damn thing too. So so it's one of those things. So it's probably about 50% clones and 50% seeds. I'm always doing both. Um, the media that I've usually use is actually for the last couple of years, it's media that's been around for the last couple of years. I'm not reusing or dumping anything in. I'm just reusing the same pot. Um, but it, originally it was peat. It was a peat-based uh, water-only soil called M3 mix. And um, I've just amended it. And uh, I do use some inputs from... Bokashi Earthworks mostly, uh, but uh, that's really it. it. It's it's a really easy way to garden, I think, for me anyway, in my situation. Um, I'm in SIP containers, so even the watering situation is super easy for me. I just look down a tube, and if I see water, I don't water it. If I don't see water, I water it. It's pretty easy. And then, um, you know, then I have like a little regime as far as my feeding schedule, as far as if I see a deficiency or if it's, it's mostly not that I see a deficiency. It's mostly, unless I'm learning a new strain, but if it's a strain, I know it's mostly the, the life cycle of the plant determines in my head when I'm going to feed or whatever, you know? So when I'm getting approaching the time to uh, flip, for example, I might hit it with, uh, with some kind of uh, uh, a top dress just to make sure that I have all I'm, like capping off my nutrients before I flip her into flower. And it's usually just like a, like worm castings and some malted barley. Um, and then now with Brandon's new, new uh, line, I'm starting to try some of those, the uh, carbon-based fertilizers. And they're usually, I have, I'm not using them a lot. I'm using like maybe the nitrogen one once in, in veg, the complex, maybe it gets hit twice, like once a week before flip and a week, week after flip and then the uh what's the last one the k the k it might get that twice and that's it i don't give them that very much and they're fucking loving it so uh i'm just going less easy to me that's easy 
It is. I've, I've actually replicated what you do. So I'm not even really going to go into it too much because uh, I took your advice on the reamendment. I've also been using a lot of Brandon's products from Bokashi Earthworks. I just ran out of the Micro Plus as I reamended and transplanted into my Earthbox. And uh, I get other, the other, I guess, organic place that I frequent would be Build a Soil. Like I like their craft blend and um, a few other amendments that they have, but like their big six micronutrients or whatever. But I think uh, Dr. MJ is quite the different setup for growers out there that are kind of looking at there's kind of a spectrum of growing and um, there's the peat side. And then a lot of people are on the cocoa side of things. So doc, maybe you could tell us a little bit about, uh, are you more from seed or from clone? And then tell us a little bit about your medium and grow style. I'm personally, I'm from seed almost always. Um, I don't, I mean, in my home grow, I have a pretty small operation, so I don't keep mothers and I, you know, don't have a, I do now, but now I, I grow seeds. I'm always curious about popping new seeds. I really like germinating seeds, like summoning new life from, you know, inert matter. Um, yeah, so seeds. And then as far as your media goes, I know uh, it says it right there in your name. And your website. <laughs> yeah. Most people already know you for it, but this is the Back to Basics too. And sometimes, like I said, a few weeks ago, we had like 600 new listeners over just less than a month. And yeah. so we do have a lot of new people and, and these episodes get re-listened to over and over and over because people really like the uh, uh, kind of technical information that comes out of even just like the very basic stuff. And yeah. so maybe you could explain a little bit about uh, what Cocoa Coir or Core is and uh, why you grow in it and some of the benefits that you've experienced. Yeah, so I grow in a mix of Cocoa Coir and Perlite. Uh, the perlite helps with aeration drainage. Um, you don't really need it with cocoa, especially in a smaller container. But one of the great things about cocoa is it holds on to a lot of water. Um, in a lot of other soil blends, it's used as a, you know, a, a moisture retaining agent. Um, but it also holds on to a lot of air and there's a lot of air space. Um, so you can run cocoa, especially when you mix it with perlite, you can run it at, you know, fully saturated and basically just keep the pots fully saturated all the time. Um, there's no dryback needed. It allows you to keep a really consistent uh, EC and pH in the water that the roots are experiencing. Um, so I advise pretty small containers, high frequency fertigation. You know, if you're hand watering, that's once or twice a day. If you're automatic watering, it can be a lot more than that. Um, I think small poker, I, I think he's on 18 times a day or something like that, but um, tiny amounts, just tiny amounts. Cause it's just sort of like topping off a, a drink that's already, you know, mostly full and you're just bringing it back up to the rim. Um, Little bit of runoff helps keep the, the root zone in the right place, but you don't need very much. Um, I definitely like to, to pop my plants up. So I start, I germinate in little peat starters, usually little jiffy pellets. Um, it's a better buffered media than cocoa for, for young roots. Um, seedlings usually have a bit of a, an adjustment period when they go into the cocoa. Um, they're in competition with the cocoa itself for calcium and magnesium and other double charged cations. And that's sort of the trick to growing in cocoa is to be able to satisfy the, the cation exchange with calcium and magnesium in the cocoa itself without sort of starving the plant of calcium and magnesium. So 
Um, we run more sort of CalMag supplement than any other style of grow does, but that's that's basically the difference. And you got to watch your EC. So CalMag supplement has a big sort of impact on electrical conductivity and you can't go too crazy with it. So those are the balances, I think. Um, it becomes a lot easier to balance with the higher frequency fertigation. So a really good breakdown of kind of what you're doing and uh, why it works, how it does. And some of the successes that you can have and some of the major points of failure to avoid. So I think, yeah. uh, thank you very much. One for... thing you always bring up, Jack, that I'd be remiss not to talk about, you know, we, we manage our grows by electrical conductivity. Um, so measuring the EC of the water that's going in and, and sort of setting that at a safe salinity for the plants. Um, we're measuring the electrical conductivity or the PPM because of it's a measure of salinity and you can't give your plants water that's too salty or they won't be able to drink it effectively. Um, so you need to manage your EC and then you can tell if the plant's healthy and if it's, if you're watering frequently and if you're watering with enough by measuring the runoff EC. The runoff EC is almost always a few, you know, a little bit higher. Um, if you're dealing with millisiemens, like maybe if your inflow is at 1.0, your outflow might be 1.1 or 1.2. If you're dealing in micro siemens, which I prefer, that would be like an inflow of a thousand the outflow of you know 1200 or so um that's fine when you start to see the the ec and the runoff going up that's when you have to take sort of uh preventative or precautionary measures to to sort of keep that in range and if you're on top of it you can grow really fast plants really quickly without running into problems because you'll see problems in the ec numbers before you actually see them in the plants themselves that's a super impressive and, and cool thing about cocoa is when you do see it, you can correct it right away. And then yeah. on top of that, you're seeing it if you are, which unfortunately not enough people are using an EC meter and measuring the runoff at least regularly enough to have an idea of where their plants are at, because I deal with a lot of newer growers and yeah. um, no offense to them, but many of them, like myself, when I got started growing in cocoa, I said, you know what, I'm not going to shell out the 10, 30, 50, 80, hundred dollars or whatever it is to get an EC meter. And so I just kind of went by feel and would kind of like feed water, feed water. And I definitely had some difficulties before I was able to know exactly where I was at with a meter. And, um, whenever I'm dealing with somebody who's got problems, oftentimes I'll say, Hey, what's your EC? And they'll say, we don't have a meter. I'll say like, maybe we should get a meter. And then I end up getting it. And they're like, I was at 3.4. I'm like, okay, that's really right. high. So let's bring that down to like two or 1.5. And then once we get them down to like a regular range, usually I don't have to do much from there because they've got their NERs all dialed in. They're doing most of the other things right for the most part. Yeah. And to be honest, it is like pretty forgiving. When I started Cocoa, a lot of people were like uh, old school hydro growers were like, that's hydro on training wheels. It's like how it was like kind of like, I don't know if that was like a, a sales pitch or like kind of like the old school guys making fun of the new school guys kind of thing. I've always taken it more as a diss than, a, than as a selling point, but I, I could imagine some people taking it both ways, but yeah. Yeah. As a new grower, especially in that medium, I'm like, shit, like hydro is tough. You can fuck up your grow in a day. So if yeah. cocoa gives me a buffer of like, if my air pump goes out, it can still work and operate and not have major crises, then uh, I'm all for it. I think even like Loki grow, who's a pretty predominant, like DWC grower, has started up a little cocoa section of his grow and he's been really happy with how his cocoa has been doing because he knows all the challenges of DWC, but it allowed him to transfer over to cocoa pretty well and have lots of success and not face many of the issues of like needing to run a chiller or things like that. And uh, I, I think it's a very great 
option out there. I've done both. And another person who's kind of done a little bit of both is Noah Vigroa over there. And I think he's more recently switched to organic soil, but Noah, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you were growing in for most of your uh, growing career, kind of your mix. And then uh, recently about your transition. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I like to use clones, but I like to know what I have. I've been experimenting with some seeds last year too. And uh, I, I, I don't do mother plants. I just clone about a week or two before I'm going to flip my plants into flower. That way, you know, for some reason I was to run into a problem where I didn't get a, you know, a clone to root. I could just, you know, take it off of the plant in the flower room. That's not ideal, but in a pinch you can do it. But uh, for the longest time I used ocean forest, Fox farm soil, and I've tried other stuff. I've tried black gold from, Fred Myers or Kroger, but I like uh, I like the ocean forest. But now I just recently switched to Bio three six five, and I used a lot of different things when I was using the ocean forest to kind of you know get it going because it's not a lot in the in the soil. But now that I'm using the Bio three six five, I've been just kind of supplementing with like a few different things from BioBiz and a few down to earth. Uh, amendments I'll put in there sometimes, but uh, in the beginning I've used a little bit of um, the uh, Epsom salts from Build a Soil. That's where I got mine. Um, I've used that to kind of help with the calcium and you know calmag and stuff. But you know, it's to each their own. You know, I mean, I experimented with different fertilizers. I've used Botanicare. I've used heavy 16 i've used general hydroponics organics i've used you name it i used them all you know on different parts different this different that and i just kind of would do my own formula that i mixed over the years and i'm still kind of experimenting side by side and it's it's close you know i think mine is probably my old method is probably a little bit better yielding and then this one might be you know the taste is is similar so, you know, it's just, but the organic in a way is what I'm really learning. And, um, I've been just kind of jumping in first. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's an awesome breakdown. And, uh, it sounds like with the bio 365, you're definitely going more on the organic inputs and amendments with the bio yeah. biz and, uh, down to earth for those who don't know, those are more like stuff that's going to be probably on an Omri list or considered organic versus like the heavy 16 and, uh, botanicare those are like plastic bottles and those go they'll work in a uh, coco coir they'll work in dwc or uh in a soil that is kind of like what i'll call the fox farm trap and many soils do this um whether intentionally or not i believe it's intentional as a business model they'll say hey come get this fox farm you know ocean forest and you'll be able to grow a plant and they market pretty heavily towards cannabis so you get growing your plant starts it's got a decent amount of nutrition to get you beginning a plant, definitely nowhere close to what you need to finish a plant for most people that are going to grow a decent sized plant. So what ends up happening is people get fairly far into their grow and they end up seeing nutrition deficiencies and and problems. So what do they do? They go back to the hydro shop, usually where they bought the Fox farm from and say, Hey, I'm noticing my plants are yellowing or this or that. They'll say, Oh, we've got this bottle of Fox farm that will give you the extra nutrition that you need to get through. And uh, like Noah said, it could be Fox Farm or it could be any list of the, you know, companies that he just listed off and they'll all be able to help you get to the finish. But essentially a lot of people get uh, sold the idea. They'll be able to go start to finish with that soil and then end up having to buy 
a nutrition uh, product or nutrient. So Fox Farm is probably not alone, definitely not alone in doing that, but it's something to look out for, for starting growers, especially like I hear that name a lot, Fox Farm, Ocean Forest, probably one of the most common soils. And I've actually seen people have tons of success with it. Um, it's Brandon Ross is everywhere. You can find it at like, it's not just for, I mean, they, you see it at regular nurseries. You see it. Yeah. At, it's uh, like a potting soil, everywhere. essentially. Yeah. It, it, it can be amended and made into a more like super soil or even a living soil. Uh, Brandon, I think a while back you actually had, uh, I think it was on your YouTube, a base that you made with Fox farm and then like Malibu compost and a few other amendments, uh, to build essentially your style of like biological crop steering, organic soil. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and where you're at now yeah, in so cultivation. That, that video is still on my Bokashi Earthworks page and it's made out of a lot of stuff that can be found and sourced pretty local to most people's area. I think it had Malibu compost. It had uh, peat from, I think, Home Depot. Um, I used some, I think, Terra... Terra uh, Visco's uh, worm castings. And then most of the stuff was down to earth fertilizers, which you can find pretty readily everywhere. And I, I did that for a reason. I did it so that way um, uh, people from all over can build this soil, but it works phenomenally. Um, everybody that's used it is, has great results. And the reason it is they have great results with it is because I mixed this soil based off of uh, data that I had collected. So um, and I even do videos after the mix, after I have it tested and I show people what the nutrition is that's in it. And so um, it's a great mix. And then, um, you know, I'm having uh, my own bag soil. Um, I can't say too much because I have NDAs, but I'll have national distribution. We're going to have a huge rollout within the next couple of months. And so I'll be in all of the grow gens, all the HTGs and a lot of the small mom and pop shops uh, across the whole country. And that soil is for cannabis. This is a cannabis specific soil. And, and, and what I mean by that is the nutritional values that uh, I test for and look for, it meets those requirements. So that way, if you're um, obviously, you know, pot size matters because you can't grow a three foot pot, a three foot plant in a one gallon pot. But if you have, you know, the proper pot size, you should be able to get through um, an, an entire run uh, with doing very, very little. You know, you could add microbes and you can add, a, you know, maybe a couple of teas or, or something like the humate fertilizer every once in a while, but it really doesn't require a whole lot. I would tend to agree with that. The um, mix that you made, I know some people in a, non-cannabis friendly state that mix it up they're able to source all the stuff at local home depots walmart's tractor supplies and things like that um, and not feel like they were attracting any attention to themselves at just getting basic gardening stuff so it's a uh, effective and um what are the things that you would typically see that you're re-amending first like as some suggestions because sometimes i notice with uh similar mixes i guess that i won't necessarily need to top dress anything if i just add some microbes like if the plants are looking like maybe they're lacking a little bit i'll just give them a nice watering with uh, good microbes and then they seem to get a little bit more access to some of the stuff that maybe they were lacking well so there's an interesting uh chemistry that goes in place because when you use something like the micro plus from bokashi earthworks if you notice if you take clean water 
and you add that microbes in there, that pH drops. And so what you're able to do is you get this reduction in temporary reduction in pH where some of the other micronutrients, things like iron, manganese, um, become more soluble, right? And so they have high soluble, uh, solubility rates um, when you have lower pHs. And so, you know, having that ability and then also the obvious, the obvious things is um, the, the reduction that the microbes are, are doing, right? They're creating uh, organic acids that are reducing, uh, you know, uh, organic matter into, you know, base components of nutri nutrient and carbon. And so that actually, you know, stimulates some growth. And, you know, if you have that phosphorus solubilizing bacteria in there, um, if you get more solubility of phosphorus, the plant is going to have essentially more energy to be able to acquire other nutrients as well. So what, what I've seen in data analytics is that, uh, with proper levels of phosphorus and, and, uh, you know, high availability of phosphorus, you'll also see the plant increase in the micronutrient uptake as well on like tissue and sap testing. So there's a correlation between, you know, all the, the biology, the chemistry, you know, the fluctuation in pH and the, and the, and the opposite goes on the other end when you have, um, you know, a pH that's buffered, right? And maybe your pH is sitting at like 6.7. Well, you'll have higher solubility of some nutrients in those ranges. But then when you go and water in, you get that, you know, you get a wider scale. So I think that has a, a lot to do with um, mineral nutrition falling into solution and the bioavailability of those things is having those kind of pH fluctuations. And it's actually one of the secrets that I use is I have a higher pH in veg and I drop, um, I drop the pH in uh, during the transition phase, so I can get a higher. We lost you at soul. I think you were going to say higher solubility. You said uh, you drop the pH going into transition. I think higher uh, solubility of phosphorus, perhaps. Perhaps I was going to say that I totally agree with what he was saying in the swinging pH occasionally, even in like hydro. You see the charts all the time like what decreases you're back now what's that we lost you for like a little bit in a time oh. oh okay uh, i apologize um, you were saying so in the transition was, that yeah something so about what, the pH. what i'm doing is i'm dropping the ph and what that does is it increases the solubility of uh, phosphate and then it also decreases the solubility of calcium so that way it it helps um, when I'm pushing potassium because I push potassium harder in flour for quicker uh, onset and then right at that transition I give it a little little kick of manganese um, and that pH fluctuation actually really helps to facilitate the increase in manganese the uh, the uh, decrease in calcium and the increase in phosphate and at I that at that particular period of time it's really important definitely a valuable information and i definitely agree with the idea of like at least having a range of your ph if you always had it set at like 6.5 some stuff might never become available or as available as it might be if it went swung down to like 5.8 or up to 7 on you know those additions of microbes or even the soil drying out 
or getting yeah. watered that changes the ph a lot more than people are aware of because they're not constantly measuring it and uh you typically have a lot more data than most people have access to and uh what are the first things that you typically recommend when uh you are reading those sap analysis and tissue analysis and all the soil um testing that you're doing uh nitrogen you... and potassium number perfect those are those are the two those are the two things that get depleted the fastest um but the but you know it's a really delicate balance because um you can have kind of i have a target range for calcium which is across the board you know depending on if it's veg or flour but the thing is you can have that range and if your vpd is not on you're not going to get adequate calcium uptake but you could have a lower range of calcium soluble calcium and have better vpd and you'll still get that calcium so calcium kind of works in a really strange way and it's really correlated to vapor vapor pressure deficit and so you know these these things are really complicated when it comes to like a nutritional standpoint and also applying certain things at certain times will will create like effects you know so uh, and that's some of the things that i'm still working on like what i've been seeing um and i've been working with another with somebody else um who who does a lot of data analytics and he you know basically bought all of my target ranges so that he could work on the the same stuff that i'm working on and one of the things that we found was that zinc uh, can be a lot lower than we first anticipated. And then there's a correlation between zinc and iron um, when it comes to the amount that's in tissue. And so if your zinc gets uh, too high and your iron isn't sufficient, you can cause these like yellowing on the edges of the plant and they, they will never recover. And it's because it's, it causes this reaction um, where it's not able to build up the the uh, chlorophyll. Brandon, the- is that at the, the uh, lower br- lower leaves or the, the growing parts? Yeah, you'll 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 see it express in the lowers, okay. but it'll happen over the whole plant if, like, again, if you if your zinc is higher than iron, it's something that we're seeing. That's you know, there's a lot of different things that are really really tricky. You could see something like. Um, like that, for instance, or you could see something like manganese be too high with, and then it's, oh man, it's, it's wild. I'll have to write all of the things down one of these days in a book and put it all together. It's like a crazy uh, moving target because when VPD fluctuates as temperature goes up or humidity goes up or down the ability for the plant to take up certain nutrients and the rate at which it takes up is vastly different, different. Like I'm noticing my winter run, the rate of growth, the rate of uh, ability for the plant to take up what you talked about the VPD, just that alone, uh, being out of target is such a, it's bad news. If you're trying to keep high production, if you're way out of VPD range, you will slow the shit down real quick. Yeah. And and think about this too. Um, so anything that's uh, cycled biologically and those three things that are cycled biologically really heavily are uh, phosphorus, carbon, and nitrogen. When you have uh, higher soil temperatures and higher um, atmospheric uh, water, when you have higher uh, humidity, those things operate better. So you'll, you'll actually see better uh, phosphorus solubility on tests when you have warmer soil that's uh you know a little more humid 
it's really interesting makes, all the factors that go in that makes sense to me though brandon because wouldn't that mean a shit ton more microbes you know that's what more they yeah, they yeah that's exactly more. it you know because if you take if you think about it like the way that we cultivate mushrooms we're usually working with pretty you know uh, or like where these things grow at optimal ranges, like microbes in, in a lab, right? There's usually around like 78 to 84 degrees, and they usually operate best with a range of around 65 to 75% relative humidity. So they have access to water, nutrient, and so it just, it, they, these systems just function better yeah. um, at those ranges. I totally agree. It's uh, impressive to see when you get them into those ranges and you can uh, dial it in for like plant growth and, and what you're ideally trying to do, how much faster it grows than when you're like in my case, in some instances, stress testing a plant and getting it to be as cold and dry as possible. And like, it is just not going to grow anywhere close to what it grows when you get it in hot and uh, humid, nice and comfortable. So I'm curious if uh, there's a better target VPD for the soil than there would be for the air. You know, is there better moisture content? in vapor pressure in this in this soil block for microbe growth i'm sure it wants to be wetter are we talking about the the soil moisture levels or are you talking about the yeah. pressure deficit because vpd uh, is the vapor pressure deficit it's the sort of the amount of, of water that the air could absorb into it it's is what it's it's reading it's not really a measure of the the soil moisture level I think Brandon's talking about it in, in terms of the atmosphere. Oh, no, I was talking about VPD for calcium uptake, but I was specifically talking about uh, soil temperature right. and soil hydrology for the, for the biology part. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, two, two, different, two different separate things, but they are correlated because um, obviously you'll increase your humidity if you have uh, a large volume of moist soil. I'll say this, the earth box or any like sealed container, you're going to have a different type of moisture level in like the beds that have the wrapped sides versus like a pot, like a fabric pot that's open. I've noticed a major difference by basically allowing or just having a good mulch layer, um, keeping the soil as essentially a separate zone where you're going to keep it sort of happier, where its moisture levels are going to be a little bit maybe higher than the room might be in that instance uh, has been beneficial in organic cultivation with, with small plants you may get sort of a noticeably more moisture from evaporation out of the media itself but generally by the time the plants are are mature and growing quickly they'll be they'll be putting most of that water through themselves you're not going to lose nearly as much to evaporation directly from the media as you will from transpiration through the plant that's a good point and uh the last panelist who's with us tonight who hasn't really uh, run us through his uh, thoughts on clones versus seeds for your general cultivation and uh, what medium you're in and kind of how you run it is the American one. And then we'll get a little bit of uh, IPM basics from uh, Matthew after that. Hey, before he starts, I got to go. I'm almost back home and I got to get everything situated. So I uh, appreciate everybody and I'll talk to you guys all next week. Thanks for joining, Brandon. We really appreciate yeah. the uh, info. I'm happy that you could join us on this show specifically. See you guys. And that's Uh, Rust.Brandon, BokashiEarthworks.com. Sorry, go ahead, Dal. No, no worries. I was going to say, I you got if yeah, you want to do both, in in my opinion. Um, But obviously, 
I would start with seeds. And then as you go through seeds, when you find something that's really good or you really like, then you take clone of it, cuts of it, and you keep that cut. And then you keep doing more seeds. And if something comes up that's better than that or, or different, you could either keep both or ditch the other one and keep the new one. And I, but I always like poking through seeds and seeing what else comes up because, uh, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side, even though you got really good ones. So you, you, you always think you can find something better and it's always a uh, variety is key too. And, uh, yeah, what was the other question I grow in? Um, I guess my own super soil slash coots mix slash med science stuff. And, uh, yeah, like that. It's a, most of us on the panel, I would say at this point are kind of more in the organic kind of soil mixes at this point. So I'm glad that Dr. MJ is still here to uh, give that side of things. And although Spartan is no longer with Mitt and Canico, he's got lots of experience with it at a commercial scale and hands-on uh, real life experience and all, all of the experiences. It's great to have the perspectives. I, I love that about this panel as we all come from a slightly different place as we kind of just went through. And I want Matthew to maybe give us a little IPM setup before and then we'll maybe go into like topping versus LST and then like deleafing versus not deleafing and some other grow related topics that we could uh, fill up the rest of the time. And at the end, we're going to spotlight a grower in this community, Lou Grown, who uh, wanted to show off his garden and maybe ask some questions and, and answer some of the questions that we went all through on the panel tonight. So without that, uh, without further ado, Matthew, maybe if uh, new growers are listening out there or anybody uh, intelligent who wants to defend their garden from pests and predators and things like that, uh, molds, milders, and all that nasty stuff, uh, what are some of your suggestions for a uh, new grower getting started, uh, IPM considerations? There's a lot. I think that step zero is that, um, you know, one of the things I see the most with regards to people who are beginner growers, and honestly, oftentimes even people who are quite experienced and advanced is that um, they don't really learn the pests that they actually have to deal with. Um, maybe because they don't think that they'll get them or they're just simply unaware of them. But there's a ton of different organisms, fungi, bacteria, viruses, uh, and insects, many of which vector those viruses. Um, just as an example, and there's oomycota and other groups too, but those are like the main ones that people would think of. So learning what they are, learning what their symptoms are when they're present, what they look like if they're like insects or mites, um, and looking up what the signs look like, what the symptoms of their feeding or colonization look like is really, really important because then you know what to look for, and you could rapidly uh, move to treat what that problem is. Um, so I would say that's like the major thing to do in the beginning is to learn what these things are in the first place. And also, of course, learn ways to prevent them from coming into your space, if possible, or to treat them if they're already there. And also to learn them from things that aren't a problem, neutral organisms that either rarely or don't attack your plants at all. Um, I can regale you with all kinds of examples of people who uh, saw a springtail or, or a predatory might even, um, something that's neutral and beneficial respectively. And they How many, how many mold mites have you identified, Matthew? <laughs> many, many, many mold mites and springtails. Yeah, and so, so um, I'm asked about them more than pests. In fact, I often, I often tell people this and it's a very true statement. 
Um, so people who are starting to grow, maybe it's the first time they've grown a plant ever, or maybe they just don't have a lot of experience. And uh, they spend a whole ton of time, effort, resources, money, um, and also stress to treat something that's not even a problem. So learn your pests, learn things that aren't pests, learn things that are beneficial even. Uh, that's, that's a big thing. Another what are your thoughts thing, on seeds, seeds versus clones? Because I asked everybody else and uh, from your perspective as an IPM guy. Yeah, I was going to bring that up too. So since we were on that topic earlier, um, basically there's kind of two camps. You either start with seed or you, or you get cuttings. And cuttings uh, in cannabis and pretty much every other agricultural product out there, um, you know, those are a big vector for various pests and pathogens like fungi and bacteria that you can't see very well oftentimes, um, and also insects and things like that that might come in during transport or were there beforehand. And yeah, so if you are going to take cuttings, it's usually well worth it if you've got plants that you can't bear to have <laughs> cold or destroyed um, then you should have some sort of a quarantine process if you can that means maybe you know very carefully getting those cuttings in the first place keeping them outside away from other plants that you have growing potentially um, you know ideally it would be a separate room that was controlled in a very sophisticated way but you might not have an ideal situation, but keeping them separate at the very least before you can like treat them with something like a general, uh, you know, botanical insecticide or something like wettable sulfur many people like to use um, or something like that uh, before you're able to bring them in and also observe them for a period of time. Safe, you know, I would say something even as far as two weeks would be a good amount of time because a lot of insect lifestyle life cycles in optimal conditions, they will um, they will complete in about a week's time, maybe two weeks if it's a little colder or if there's some other thing going on. So that's for cuttings. So I think cuttings are fine if you take the precautions. Seeds are also pretty good, and you have a bunch of other benefits from just like a um, just a physiological you know effect of like a, that new generation, that vigor, but. You, you know, it's not like there aren't anything. And if we also talk about the microbiome, there might be a benefit to getting certain seeds that might have some nice endophytes from their parents uh, or that they might sort of colonize with in the very beginning of their germination that you might not get with a cutting, for example. Um, there's some aspects of that to consider, but also there are some, there are some viruses and other pathogens that might also uh, either vertically transmit. We don't really have data for like botrytis, but that happens in other plants. So it might happen here. Um, Hoplite and viroid, I believe also has this capacity, but it's very unclear really how, to what extent this, this happens. Uh, there's certain research reports that have numbers, but I like to see a lot more kind of like robust testing to happen, um, to be honest. So that's my opinion on that too. There's a, in other like ag, and horticulture practices, sometimes you see uh, seeds coated and like whether it's a nutrient coating or like a pesticide in, in some occasions, it seems like I've seen that in non-cannabis related gardening channels. They're like, oh, this one's coated and this one isn't. So that was uh, one consideration. I don't hear too much cannabis because I don't think it's happening quite yet. A lot of those, a lot of those compounds are usually systemic. So most of those, well, usually a lot of those compounds are systemic pesticides that you wouldn't want to necessarily put in your plants. But 
uh, th there's no rule that they have to be. And perhaps people, I think I actually saw some products that are like that, uh, that people are developing for cannabis seeds potentially. So something like that could also be a product in the future that I is see less harmful. Advertising like microbe soaks or different ones. There's like that purple one. I can't think of the actual name of the brand, but a lot of people like to soak their seeds in that. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up was a lot of new growers may scour the internet and look for used gear on something like Craigslist or at their local hydroponic shop might buy equipment. And I know from an IPM perspective, there's a few risks and hazards associated with that, but maybe uh, any advice for somebody who might've bought in uh, used growing merchandise for you, Matthew, if uh, you have any thoughts. Sorry. On that. Sorry. Could you say that one more time? I didn't get the whole message. So like if somebody bought something from a grow shop, um, like a used grow light or whatever equipment from a Craigslist or something like that, do you have any thoughts or considerations from the IPM aspect? Yeah. So yeah, with any kind of equipment, I think it's really important to consider that they could be, there could be fomites, uh, which is, I mean, they, they could, yeah, they could be fomites, which is just a fancy word for something that can sort of be like equipment or clothing or some sort of vector for a, a pest in this case. And if you do get something like lights or clips, clippers, or, you know, some other piece of equipment, um, it definitely would be worth it to like clean it or in some way kind of like process it so that you're not potentially bringing in um, microbes that could colonize your space that you don't want. <laughs> Certainly there might be some that you do, but you're really mostly worried about the ones that you don't want. Because in the disease triangle, which is another thing you should look up, just basic phytopathology stuff you can find on the American Phytopathology Society. Their websites are easy to read for the most part, and they're written in a way you can understand, or also my own um, YouTube channel and places like that. But in a disease triangle, uh, if you eliminate the actual pathogen from being there in the first place, obviously uh, spontaneous generation doesn't happen. So <laughs> if, this, if the spores, if the mycelial material, you know, if the uh, inocula isn't there in the first place, then the other parts about the environment um, and the host suitability, um, you know, are going to be a little bit less relevant. Yeah, I can feel like they come from thin air, but if you are diligent in preventing them from ever getting there in the first place, they're not just going to show up in many cases. So that's good news. To, just to add to that, like an application of that, um, oftentimes after we harvested, the last thing we do before we left, we would set off what we call them the procure bombs, but they were, there were, is a product called procure and I believe it was chloride gas, but you just put yeah, it chlorine some, dioxide, I think is procure. Yeah. Okay. Chlorine dioxide. Yep. And we just stick them in, in some water and we shut the door and fucking let it do its thing. And when we come back in the morning, it smells like you're walking, when you go into a hotel and they have the, the pool with a ton of chlorine in it, that's what it smells like. It just smells clean, you know, it makes us feel, you know, like, you know, they had to have uh, helped clean the room. And then what we do that next day is then we go through and we scrub down the, all the tables and we really, uh, we do the reset, but we feel that that move in between really helps to crush microbials down. Yeah, I have to agree. I actually have worked with a, um, a Procure product, a couple of different ones, the ones that are human safe and the ones that are, uh, they're not for people to breathe in. And um, I remember that we had some people take 
uh, microbe uh, sampling, just aerial aerial sampling of like a uh, of microbes. <laughs> in the um, this was a place where they were holding cold storage for flowers, not cannabis in this case. Well, actually, it worked for the cannabis place too, but the one the story I'm talking about is Gerbra's, and uh, they had they definitely got fungi in the in the uh, warehouse, even though like it was very cold and everything like that, just it did happen. And they used the procure and the, the microbe presence went down very sharply. Um, I'm not, I'm not endorsing them or anything like that, but I definitely saw a good effect seemingly from an independent test. It wasn't uh, provided by procure. Right. That's cool. That's very good to know. Because there's a, there's a competing product, too, but I think it's the exact same ingredient. So, I mean, whatever's cheaper, I guess. Yeah, if, if it is actually just that chemical and it's the same product, sometimes there are small differences. Well, but... yeah, I would. Um, the best move is to talk to both sides and, and, and have them play against each other because they'll tell you, you know, and, and play their bullshit against each other and see, see who wins. And then ask a guy like Matthew to confirm yeah, it. Ask Matthew his opinion. Yeah. He's my final due diligence check there on, on a product if I'm curious, because he typically is more informed about that kind of stuff than I am. But uh, something for the second hour that we could get into a little bit is maybe about, we talked about what we're growing in, uh, what we're actually growing in seeds versus clones, but maybe a little bit about grow uh, practice. Like, are you a topper, LST? Uh, what do you like to do as far as how do you shape your plant, groom your plant? Do you de-leaf? Do you leave the leaves naturally? And uh, so I guess we could go around the panel and everybody could kind of give a little bit of uh, information on how they actually maintain and treat their plant throughout the grow. And I guess we'll start first with Spartan Grown and we'll go around the horn and everybody will get their chance. Oh man, I do all those things. It just depends on whatever I feel at home. But, you know, at work, it's a whole different thing. It was all we did it all the same every time and that was production growing so in production growing uh we topped let me see yeah we changed the way we talked we before we used to top really early on so you're talking probably fourth fifth node and that was a real almost not a top end. i mean you're taking off an eighth of an inch of plant material you're just popping the very little top off you're barely barely slowing the plant down and they did, they just barely slowed down and it was just boom, boom, boom. And then we switched from doing that because with that early top, you'd get a little bit of a bush out, but we found that the plants really were needing a second topping. So we tried as an experiment to let them wait, well, wait till way later on and then top them like later, like for about two weeks before we flipped them. And that resulted, it was a deeper top. You're taking way more plant material off, but, um, that resulted in a way better expression on most cultivars and really bushed them out. And so that's what we're doing, you know, up until I left. And I, I, I imagine that's what they're going to continue to do because it just seemed to work better. I kept them a little bit shorter, but they always got wider and filled out the nets better. How big are the, what square footage does each plant occupy Spartan? So I think there were in a five, four by five, I think there were six plants. By five, okay, so six plants, three something square feet per plant. Yep. Okay. And that was a hundred percent cocoa. There was no no perlite. That's hundred percent cocoa. 
but uh, at home it's way different <laughs> it's way slower it's organic so i treat my veg room like you you plants can you ladies you can grow at your own speed it's cool i'm just going by height so when i get one big enough for me to flip how i feel is big enough to flip it into flower then that one goes in and i'm a perpetual grow so i just have two lights flying two lights in my flower room hanging and i just rotate plants in underneath it and so there's not like there's not even two plants next well there might be two plants next to each, each other the same age but there's not usually more than that so so my veg is just all just staggered i just uh take i had to play this dance with plant count to take cuttings and reset plants so that they don't have uh you know they don't have roots or they're not under a certain certain height so they don't count as plants so because I, I don't want to keep a whole lot of mothers i can i might have one two mother plants hanging around but uh most of them get reset and they, they're sitting in the cloner without roots so they're not counting as plants <laughs> because i'm playing this plant count dance so it's, it's way more kind of a relaxed thing at home but i still like to do um, I don't like to top as much at home. I like to do plant training because I grow in a, you know, like a four by four space. I can fit four plants because these planters take up that much space. So they take up like a two by two. So I have to get a real wide, what I count as a wide plant at work. We're growing kind of cylinders, but at, at home I'm growing squares. So it's more of a, more of a, I want them to stretch a little bit so I can pull them down and get to the edges of my, of my container so I can fill my space, fill my container space. And um, so I probably veg for longer at home for sure. And my plant training is way different. I'm not topping because I'm using that stretch to pull it down later to get to the edge of the pot with it, with my plants. And then uh, what was, was there anything else that I missed something or was that all the questions? uh leafing de-leafing versus leaving the leaves at home so i do i do do the i don't uh i don't do a complete leaf strip i would if i was feeding synthetically because when i feed synthetically i do high plant count like high density plant count like i want fucking branches everywhere and if that's the case i do a high i'm i'm, I'm removing leaves because i, I need airflow and that's the only way i can get it and um but at, at, at home no i'm not i'm not i'll do a i'll do a little bit of lollipop to keep airflow underneath the plant and then i like to remove stuff like on the inside of the plant if you can picture that i think I, it's almost like what i do in the outdoor demonstration i did where i would go up the plant and remove all the stuff on the inside i do pretty much that same thing on inside i just don't i just want good airflow throughout the plant but uh, i like all the Basically, all those leaves that are on the outside of the plant catching light, I want to keep them there. Um, unless there's like so big that they're, you know, just causing issues with airflow, um, I will, I will take them out. But uh, usually, I'm just doing like the cleanup situation when I'm doing it at home. Sounds like you're making more of like a hedge uh, in your little, you know, uh, city pickers where you're bushing it out, kind of getting a nice wide bush of a plant, and. Uh, with limited plant count, it makes sense. You're going to veg a little longer. You're going to, you know, uh, flower a little bit larger plant. And, you know, you have to make do with what you got, If especially if you're trying to abide by your local laws, which I suggest if you're able to, then might may as well, right? So it's uh, many people don't have that luxury. So I, again, commend you for uh, being 
somebody who lives a pretty morally just life in my opinion. So cheers to you Spartan on that. And um, next, I guess I'll pass it to Dr. MJ and ask you, uh, what do you like to do as far as your grow goes? Um, I actually know I'm just being the host right now, but uh, what's your uh, grow method and methodology and strategies uh, from basically the time you pop the seed through uh, when you flip the flower, any tips, tricks, and ideas sure. for like LST and deleafing versus not uh, leaving for the leaves? Sure. Yep. Um, well, one of the main benefits of, of growing in hydro indoors is it's, it's fast. So I grow plants. I very rarely veg them for, I always count starting days too, when the seeds get wet. So day one is the day that you drop the seed in the water. Um, I do a mainline training usually, which is consists of topping all the main growths three times. So top the, the first stalk when it gets up to six nodes, back down to three, let the nodes from the third grow out to at least three nodes, top them off, um, and then grow those next ones out just to one node and top them the third time. So you end up with eight mains. Um, I'm usually able to pull that off in like by day 30, um, sometimes a little bit longer than that, but usually right around there and then flip quickly after that. Um, I let my plants grow during what we're trying to call the bolt now, that flowering stretch, um, and sort of fill in the space. Uh, I usually let plants grow to be about four square feet, so like four plants in a four by four or two plants in a four by two. Um, I use, I still have Rob's Atlas plant trainer. Um, and so I use that to help sort of train the plants and support the plants. It's like playing with an erector set or something around the plants. It's a lot of fun. Um, so I spread them out to, to sort of be that size. And I like working with the, you know, multiple mains like that to, to create a lot of tops for, their, for the plants. Um, I do not strip leaves. I, I will clean up the skirts a little bit. I'll, I'll cut some leaves if they're in the shade, um, but I very rarely cut leaves that are getting light. Uh, I'll do other things to, if, if they are like creating problems, sometimes in a really dense grow, you'll get leaves laying on top of each other and creating moisture issues and stuff. So I'll try to get in and sort of prevent that from happening. Um, uh, but that, that goes back to training. Like when I top, I, you know, you, you got to top off the leaves that are above the point where you top. Um, but then in the main line, you know, you only want to leave the, the nodes growing from like that third node. Um, so you clean the growth tips from the second node and from the first node, but I'll leave those fan leaves there um, up until the point where the, the plant gets big enough that it's, it's throwing shade on those leaves. Um, but yeah, always. And then there's, there's only one time when I'm growing a sort of modified version of this that I'll, I'll cut leaves that would be shading growth tips that I need to encourage. But um, being in the, in the shade will prevent a growth tip, a branch from growing well, but it won't prevent a flower from maturing or developing well. So um, there are some times in plant training where if you're trying to get a branch to sort of break up through the canopy where you need to pull the leaves away so it can get the light or even cut a leaf off potentially. Um, but I would never do that to expose flowers to the light. Um, I do try, you know, there's climate issues there too. So I will trim out the skirts. I will get fan underneath my plants. 
um, and another fan sort of blowing across the top. Um, I don't do usually dedicated air conditioning or climate control, and I run an exhausted grow. So uh, I, you know, face challenges there in terms of maintaining that, that climate in the grow, but it's still able to get, you know, pretty dense plants into the tent without running into tremendous humidity issues. Um, it helps to be in a, in a rather dry climate. Um, I think in other places, you know, you, you're facing more climate situations that help make you interact with your plants in somewhat different ways. Very true point there. Uh, the desert is a lot different to grow in than Florida, for, that's for sure. And lots of different considerations from the equipment you'll need to maybe even the way that you groom your plant. So yeah. it's, it's good to say that there's not one size that fits all really for anybody. And that's why I love going through and we all kind of give considerations with kind of the uh, idea that there is going to be something that might change for somebody depending on their environment. So, uh, yeah, I always... think, well, that's, I think one of the big differences probably with smart and I think he's got a much more humid climate to deal with than, than we do. Um, and you probably have to, ha I mean, you would probably have to do more um, deleafing or trimming up skirts and other things like that yeah. to, to deal with that climate issues in a ventilated grow space. I mean, you, you got to work with the climate that you're growing in. I guess so winter outdoors outdoors is like a must <laughs> yeah it's interesting i think the sun definitely makes the plants produce like a leafier plant like spartan you've mentioned you're just like de-leafing all season on your outdoor plants pretty much and they are still going to be bushier than any of your indoor plants and um there's just they're taking in so many photons and they're putting out so many leaves it's uh it really feels like a different beast when you're comparing an indoor versus an outdoor plant um both how they look and grow but it's uh, fascinating to note those differences and uh, the environment really does play a major, major role. So I'm going to pass it next to Noah the Groa and ask, uh, what do you like to do with your plants? Are you a topper, low stress train? Uh, do you super crop any of that stuff? Uh, do you like to leave the leaves? Or are you a de-leafer? And uh, take it from Well, there. I do uh, all of it. Um, I'm constantly experimenting, but uh, I always top my plants once. Um, I always top them once. Um, I like to, I like to do it when they have about three or four nodes from when, you know, the clone starts to get, you know, that's when I like to just top it once. And then I usually will try and do, uh, you know, I don't even know, I guess super cropping or when, if I have a big stock that gets above it, I'll pinch it to where it'll slow it down and everything around it will grow, you know, bigger. And then I like to do uh, sometimes i'll do some low stress training too where i'll just kind of if a top gets bigger and i already pinched it i'll kind of slowly just bend it over sometimes i'll just bend it a little bit um and then and then i i always push them up into a net and spread them out so i do a lot of plant training um i have to i live uh in the in the pacific northwest in the heart of like a rainforest so i have to have a dehumidifier i always trim the skirts up really high and then it's the same thing, kind of like Doc was saying, like, if I don't want to, I'm never going to like a plant, like a leaf is like not blocking anything. I'm never cutting that off. But if they're blocking some get, you know, in the middle of the, of the net, it starts really getting crazy. I'll, you know, take some off. I don't want them to do the moisture stuff. and I don't want it blocking a bunch of, of bud sites, but um, yeah, that's pretty much the, the way I do it. And yeah, you have to have a dehumidifier and, controlled here you know i live over but pretty close to portland oregon and it rains it's raining right now so i mean 
we got a lot of moisture in there around here. So it's like the opposite of here where you guys are practically always wet and we're practically always uh, dry down here. So it's quite the difference in environment for sure. And I know uh, the American ones and the whole different coast over there. So uh, Tao, how, how are you managing your plants? Topping LST? Do you do any super cropping and uh, do you leave the leaves on or do you like to uh, pull a bunch of them off? I I do whatever the situation calls for, pretty much. I do it all. I uh, I do like topping. When I start seeds, I generally wait like three or four nodes that are uh, healthy and definitely have like side branches going and I'll top it. And then, because um, then I'll take either the bottom two or I'll take two of them for clones if it's a female eventually. And uh, then, you know, then I'll go from there. But, and, and then, I don't, I don't LST or super crop very often. Uh, I try to keep my plants relatively short compared to a lot of other people. So, um, but I, I have been doing a lot more uh, supporting. I don't like scrogging and netting, but I, I bought a whole shit ton of these stakes that I've been uh, tying up the branches because it definitely helps out the plant drastically to produce more, uh, more flowers. Well, definitely some strains need it more than others as well. Uh, some some of the ones I work with don't don't need any support at all though. And leafing, deleafing, I um I've experimented with it all. I think definitely uh, if you're into that sort of thing, if you're uh, DWC or the high fertigation and you're using a uh, you know fertilized water, they definitely bounce back and recover and kick ass afterwards. But in certain and definitely strain dependent too, because some of the strains I've had hardly have any leaf to begin with, like a sativa. If you take all the leaves off, there's hardly any, uh, you know, solar panels left. It's so thin. So yeah, depending on the situation. But yeah, I do like to take the fat, fat ones off that. And like if I move a leaf at the top of the canopy or whatever, if I move it away and the light that was hitting that leaf there's leaves right underneath it that it's going to catch it. I don't think it's such a bad thing to take that one off. Um, but yeah, I kind of lean towards not take, leave as many as you can that you're comfortable with without uh, causing danger of, you know, uh, wet spots and whatnot. And yeah, fill. I like, I've been trying to fill up the rooms as much as possible so that like uh, Hemp with Gigi always says, the light, you want to capture all that light because that's, that's your job is like the cultivator to capture all the light that they could get. We're and not growing I, the floor. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, pretty much that's what I have to say on the, all that. Good points for sure. I um, definitely have done both. I've gone on the extreme end of deleafing, like the schwazing, where you basically look like you've got a fucking vine left over. It's just like damn near no leaves on there. You take like pretty much everything off except for the tiny little stuff. And um, they bounce back, but even when I was in cocoa, we were giving them fresh water and nutrients every single time. Um, I'm not a commercial grow where I'm not growing a hundred plants where I need to like push them in there, like centimeters apart from each other. And if I didn't deleaf, they would have actually still been fine. It wasn't like the leaves were on top of each other. So like when they do get on, on top of each other, I've even pushed it where I just like let them fucking go and keep the airflow super high. And like, I'll see like literal like water spots. And until my last grow, I would gotten away with never getting mold, never getting, uh, Portritis, but you definitely do run that risk. And I got uh, WPM, white powdery mildew, because I just left every single leaf 
let the plants go crazy. It was uh, Amy Aces. It's a very vigorous plant. It took over my whole tent. It was massive. I should have taken off a few extra branches, but I said, fuck it. I'm going to see what I can get from it. And um, only lost a little bit to PM. And it just, uh, it's, a, it's a learning experience because I like to see both ends of the spectrum. Like Jeff Lowenfels was like, never take a leaf off the plant. So I'm like, fuck it. I'll try it. Clackham is cute. is like, don't top your plants. I got to disagree with that because I tried grow after grow after grow, like five, six grows in a row, never topping. And not a single person was like, is this the untopped bud or is this the top bud? Or is, like, <laughs> yeah. is this the untopped plant? Not a single fucking person said like, this is so much better, man. Like you didn't top it. And I can tell the difference. Like, not a single <laughs> fucking person. And That's every time awesome. I top it, you know, nobody's ever complained. So I'm like, well, I definitely going to at least top once. And then I prefer sort of an LST combination with super cropping where like, if I've got time, like I do now, uh, once or twice a day, I'll go in and bend over the top leaders so that the oxens or uh, cytokinins change direction. And you can literally see over a few days of just bending down that top one, all the little shoots below it start to get more light and grow up. And then you've got a fucking bush. And like right now, I have two phenos of Velvet Punch F3. One of them's a little taller, maybe one or two inches taller on the left in the earth box. And the one on the right is more stout. And so the taller one, I'm just kind of bending it over and allowing all the lower shoots to grow up. So I've got a flat, even canopy. Although the plant on the right is smaller, it's just now taking up less square footage of the tent. But um, I, I definitely like getting my hands on the plants as much as I can, if possible. Uh, if I'm feeling like I won't be able to be in there every day, I'll go for a super crop on occasion. Or if something's just really getting out of control, I think a super crop in my experience, the one thing I will say, I have personally noticed the super crop bud always looks like the frostiest one. <laughs> Every time, if you get a nice fat knuckle and that super copper covers, oh man, that yeah. thing's always a stout. So Jack, you like putting your hands on the girls and bending them over, huh? Or like, say that. Uh, what's um, <laughs> oh, how can I forget his name? Kyle, Kyle Cushman. That's how he likes to like snap and pop all the way up every branch, I think, to try to get that. I've effect. done that. I've, I like that method. The Kyle Cushman chiropractic, he calls it. He's basically super cropping in between every single node where you twist and bend and, and Rasta Jeff. It, talked about that too and ever since i started doing that i've never had to run a trellis i've never had to use yo-yos i've never had to use bamboo stakes and i think that with adequate airflow uh decent veg time on a plant and maybe it's also genetic because i'm not growing like gg4 which notoriously like can't hold its own weight um i'm growing from seed every single time at this point like out of my last 100 plants 99 have been seeds and one has been a clone type things to get back to that conversation earlier um, in the beginning, I was keeping clones of everything I popped, like just to, in case, and then I would grow out the ones that I really liked, but then I found <laughs> I'd grow it once, maybe twice, maybe three times by that third time. And maybe there just weren't winners. I was usually getting rid of, rid of them and excited for that next thing that I was popping. So I was like, why keep this for two grows? And like, instead of getting hundred percent new stuff, I'm getting like 75% and then like 25% the old stuff. I was like, the old stuff is good, but like, maybe I'll just go hundred percent new stuff each run. And then when I started doing that, I was just happier. So I started popping new seeds every single run. I haven't taken a clone in a while, but I guess if something really special comes around or if I'm doing planned breeding work, like breeding to a specific cut or uh, keeping around a parent, like if I find something special in Velvet Punch F3, or uh, if I want to go back to the F2s to get like a zigzag pheno that I want to breed with, I would probably keep a cut of that. But as far as growing for my own head and smoke and medicine for me and my wife, it's like, I love the adventure of just trying new stuff kind of all the time every single grow and uh i find that enjoyable i already talked about leaving the leaves versus uh de-leafing 
even though I think you can get away with deleafing. I definitely have had much, much better experiences personally with uh, leaving them there. So I think that is uh, everything as far as I've got for back to basics topics. Do you guys have any final thoughts that maybe we uh, didn't give you enough time to cover or uh, that you want to include on the show before maybe I invite Lou Groan on for the rest of the night? I just want to say it's not as complicated as it sounds. So just, just <laughs> grab I, uh, I want to add that, um, you know, there's probably a lot of beginner growers who haven't dealt with pests here. And I want to challenge my own biases and um, just sort of mention some of the names of pests that people should be aware of. It's springtime, at least here in North America. Um, so like, for example, uh, spider mites, if you've never dealt with those, you should learn more about those. You should also learn about um, specifically the two-spot spider mites, super common. Um, thrips, apparently onion thrips, and I know Western flower thrips are very common. Those are super duper common agriculture and cannabis as well. Um, you should also be aware of, I could rattle on tons of them, but- uh, I just want to say on those two, I've seen both of those at home and I don't want not slandering this company, but any big box store, um, it could be Walmart, it could be Home Depot, it could be Lowe's, it could be your local nursery. I've seen those two specific pests in California, just out and about, not in cannabis related grocery stores or wherever. Like I've also seen them there, but you can pick them up anywhere. So uh, it's a IPM precaution that if you do go out, uh, a lot of people do like to change your clothes before you go into your grow or maybe shower or do something like that because you can bring. Uh, pests in my wife once brought home a uh, like flower in her ear just by her old work and as we looked at it a thrip started crawling out i was like get this thing the fuck out of the house so <laughs> it was uh, a frightening but uh, very real reality that they grow we can be so cannabis centric that uh, we forget about all the other ag and stuff going on especially here in southern california there's tons of it uh flowers and, and food and otherwise so uh, it's important to be aware of those too. And I'm glad that you mentioned them. If you want to talk about a few more, you're more than welcome to, because we've got plenty of time and I'm about to send the link over to Lou Brown here. I vehemently agree with that, um, especially the thrips, because the, uh, a, lot, a lot of them do feed on pollen and a lot of them do inhabit flowers. And a lot of those are really important pollinators actually. And uh, for that matter, might not even be interested in your cannabis plant, but um, some of them, a lot of them are omnivorous, like the two that I mentioned. So um, they're super, super uh, prevalent. Um, also some big ones, the hemp borer is becoming more and more of a problem. It's a little, it's a moth, the caterpillar um, bores into the stem and it can even bore into the flower buds. And that's a big problem. We're becoming more of a problem in various parts of North America. There's the uh, Helica verpa or the corn earworm, massively common um, globally. It bores into the flower buds. And even if you were to kill it, it will then maybe die in your buds and still cause a bunch of problems and rot and that kind of stuff. So it's a huge issue lately, um, putting the dampener on a lot of people commercially and residentially. And I guess I'll also mention the, uh, the hemp russet mite is super common and um prolific and it only feeds on cannabis so it doesn't feed on other stuff even if you might have heard of other russet mites like tomato russet mite or whatever um there's not a lot of research on this but certainly they tend to be specialists they don't tend to feed on multiple other plants that are not closely related and um yeah and if you want to check out more uh, my youtube channel is chock full of various pests but 
a lot, especially cannabis pests. So that's Senthanol on YouTube and my pest primer series. And a friendly reminder that cannabis is hemp. It's uh, the same plant, cannabis sativa L. Uh, the difference is a legal one, which defines hemp as 0.3 or lower THC, at least here in the United States. I know in Europe, I believe they've gone up to a 1% THC or lower in certain countries. And so hemp is a legal categorization. It's not a separate plant as it's kind of been marketed as and uh, made. a lot of people are made to believe that they're two entirely different things. Like, so it, I think it is important to recognize that the hemp russet mite is going to come for your cannabis, just like it'll come for hemp. So they are uh, both vulnerable. And that's a very, very rough one from what I've heard uh, from people who've had to deal with it. And yeah, before we change the subject, I'll uh, say on the beginners, um, if you if you start in a new spot, I uh, always, I like to do a, some sort of bomb before any plants are in there. Like, uh, I don't know, I don't know, maybe Xenthanol, if there's ones that are safer than others, but I do like a crazy bug bomb usually, but I haven't done it in a long time. And now it might not be good because I hear there's residuals that'll stay on the wall, get in your plants and then you'll fail uh, testing. But all right, before, but aside from that, maybe if you get before you before you incriminate yourself, <laughs> yeah, permethrin is um, not great. Don't do it if you have plants okay. in the area still. But if you it, don't have them outside, there could be residuals. That's an absolutely yeah. good point to make. Okay. Um, so maybe wash it afterwards or something like that. But um, yeah. if it were me, I would take the Spartan approach, um, which is you know the wettable sulfur. Uh, Spray everything people, wettable sulfur. There you go. Someone yeah, just asked I, me about that, and I recommended the Bonide Micronize because that was what I remembered mm -hmm. Spartan using, and it is Micronize, so it's uh, able to be used in, in water easily. And uh, and there's so, a wetting agent in it, too, which makes yes. it nice. Ah, there you go. So you just all right, and, put it in and mix it. All right, so that's that. Don't bomb. Use the wettable sulfur and just spray everything and let it dry out, I guess. That would be one thing. And then, like I hear, I, there was a recent, I forget who was talking about it, but they bought seeds, paid a lot for the seeds, and they were like brand new growers, and they didn't get them to pop and shit. So maybe your first go around, either get free seeds or a bag seed or experiment with vegetable seed, and then put those $10 a seed seeds to grow for your cannabis. I and, definitely agree with that. All right. And then one last thing, if you have any issues... Now you could ask people like back in the day, you could, you, you went to the st hydro store, you had to ask about your tomato plants, but now you could like actually ask people about your, what's going on with my cannabis plant now, which is cool. So don't be afraid to ask questions. And uh, that's about it. Great advice. And with that said, I want to welcome in uh, Lou Grown. Welcome. What's happening y'all. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. We can hear you just fine. How are you okay, doing tonight? Good to meet you, man. I'm doing well. Uh, it's good to see y'all again. It's been a while. I came back on like maybe last November or October or something, showed my Australian bastard cannabis to y'all. Oh, yeah. I love that, man. Remember that. Super cool. I, I'll never forget that because uh, I featured that in 50 Strains of Green. It's just one of the cooler strains out there from a look perspective, but uh, it's also, you know, supposedly not got a terrible high. And uh, the other thing, Freak Show is actually the one I featured, but yeah, no, the uh, Australian ABC, I got seeds of from, uh, shout out to Gnome Automatics. I think that might be the same guy that you got him from as well. He's just a great guy. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of him, I have uh, one of his anvils that is just absolutely ready to harvest. Probably could have harvested it a few days ago, but oh, kind of wanted to uh, 
keep it on the off chance that I could come on and show y'all. She's, uh, I germinated her like December 10th. So we're looking at four months old today. It was, uh, it was one of those autos that like was kind of the runt of my pack. I grew four different autos in three gallon pots and, uh, it was kind of just like creeping behind, but it was like slow and steady wins the race. Like by far, like is going to out yield the others probably double at least. And, uh, she's a beauty. I'll show y'all in a second. I'll switch to my phone and bring you in the tent. Are all the others, uh, did they finish earlier too? And that one went longer. Yeah, I had two banana daddies from Ethos. Mm -hmm. The first one was ready in maybe um, eight weeks, ten weeks total. Um, And uh, I had a Durban Sunrise from 2020 Mendocino. Nice. And uh, that was also close to eight to ten weeks. How did that uh, one turn out? Say that again. How did that one turn out? The turf profile was it kind of like a Durban or was it not much? It's not very Durbany, yeah. Oh wow, it's nice. Like the exact same uh, turf profile, I would say, to like Durban I've tried in the past, um, and it's coming. It's coming out more in the cure. You know, I've cured it about three weeks now, so now it's becoming like what this plant smelled more like. That's awesome. The effect is like maybe not quite as intense as like a trip traditional Durban, but it's definitely like uplifting. So it's similar. And the, the, the flavor spot on though, Man, I might it just grew great. It had good structure and that was a really beautiful plant. It had a pretty fade. I might throw some of those outdoor this year then. Yeah. Awesome. Some awesome. Outside. Well, it did well in the three gallon, you know, I, uh, I moved to this place in December and unbeknownst to me and unfortunately my ceiling is uh really short oh. i couldn't fit my four by four in here oh man oh i had like the perfect space set up for it and uh so right now i'm growing in what was my veg tent so it's just a four by two and it's you know 60 inches tall or so it's a pretty small space but that's why i'm just kind of growing autos at the moment I know the pain. I'm I'm in a even smaller. It's three feet wide right. by one point six. Uh, but it, it's like a similar profile. It's a rectangle, and you can get a few pl- plants in there. In my case, it's literally a single earth box with two plants in there. But uh, you can make a lot happen as far as weight goes. I mean, people are surprised when I tell them I pull pounds a year out of my closet. So it's like you'll be very happy with uh, what you can achieve in small spaces. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I uh, I don't envy you with an even smaller space. <laughs> It makes things difficult, but uh, when you're dedicated, you'll find a way to make anything work. That's what I've uh, always found. So uh, the anvil, uh, how's that one smelling? You said that you're pushing to harvest. That's why I definitely wanted to be able to feature you. You're like, I'm I'm pushing back on harvesting this plant. So maybe I could show it off on the show. I'm like, dude, we could definitely show it off on the show. Is a friend of the show, great breeder. Uh, Autoflowers, I think need more love. And he's definitely doing good work. And uh, it's cool to see some of the home growers representing and doing it well and showing off what some of these great genetics are capable of yeah i'm gonna see if i can switch the zoom to my phone and uh that way i'll be able to take in here so let's see if this works here it should oh perfect hello here we are we got you and i can switch my camera well it hits the purple factor for sure
I'm going to spotlight you so we can actually uh, see it up close. And maybe if you can turn your camera so it's facing instead of up and down, left to right. And then there we go. Boom. Yeah. Pops. So we got the full screen. Oh, yeah. Some nice so, chunky purple nuggets. Damn. Obviously, in three-gallon pots, you're going to run out of nutrition. So yeah. I kind of let it run out of nitrogen for the last couple of weeks. I, I personally don't mind a yeah. nice fade like that in organic growing. I think towards the end, you should want to have some sort of fade, whether it's yellow, whether it's red, whether it's purple. But um, I don't think that it's sacrificing much. And the buds look nice and plump and dense. Like it's going to be uh, some good smoke there. Yeah, usually I don't get this good results in my three gallons. But, oh, look who's saying hi. Hello, kitty cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been using Brandon's new products, the Humate products. And yep. so that's really helped me push nutrition like further into flower. So... I'm really happy with how fat and like chunky these buds have become. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's but I'll show this structure. Oh my god. So I have cat grass growing in here because he likes to nibble on the plants, which is all good. But sometimes I don't want him to. So that's just to entertain my boy. I feel you on that. You might have seen my white cat basically all over me during the show earlier, and uh, I sent a little <laughs> thing to the growers earlier this week that said I taught my cat how to LST because I got a little like <laughs> video of him basically pushing down one of the tops as he was trying to take off a side leaf. That's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like to remove all the inner nodes and the lower nodes from the bottom third of the plant. And I usually leave all the leaves and especially in a situation like this where you're in a three gallon and you might run out of nutrition those leaves can be, you know, nutrient banks. So I pluck them off as they're yellowing and kind of dying towards the end. But other than that, I kind of let them go. And like, maybe if there's a fat leaf in here towards the top, I'll get rid of it. But other than that, I mostly just, you know, in a situation like this, I'm leaving most of the leaves that I can. Um, maybe a little bit different approach if I'm growing bigger plants, but I really like the denseness that you've kept uh, at this point. It's not like you're losing a bunch of light going through empty spaces. Uh, as Spartan said in the past, and I really took it to heart, I remove leaves after they're about 50% or more fucked up. So like yeah. while it's fading, if it starts to like get like crunchy or like messed up, like if it's up at or about 50% of the leaf looks like it's like damaged or uh, starting to, to die, the plant at that point has said like this I'm, I'm done with this leaf. Like I'm no longer sending the energy and stuff to it. So I just pluck it at that point. But all the ones that you've left on there right now, to me, just look like kind of a nice natural. Yeah. It's got a little bit low nutrition, but it should towards the end. And especially in a three gallon pot, I think those uh, humate products can uh, definitely help. And definitely using the microbe plus and uh, I use the amino N plus and veg mostly. Um, and then I'm growing in organic soil. It's um coast of maine platinum growers mix the stonington blend um i seem to work similar to fox farm but like a little bit better results when i fill my pots um i'll put i'll add like maybe up to 10 percent rice holes and i'll add like a couple spoonfuls of biochar um but other than that i kind of try to keep it simple just because you know there's so much to take in with organic growing that I know the soil companies do a little better job than I probably would if I were to like custom make my own soil. And then using Brandon's products really help get the most out of that soil because like the microbes are unlocking all the nutrients that are in there and 
and stuff like that. And like also the amino N plus is great because it supplements the nitrogen. So you're not like running out of nitrogen too early. Yeah. I like it for that same reason. I love that stuff. And I guess you can use it even later into flower than I ever have. I'm going to try that on this upcoming run. If I'm starting to see any late flower, um, sort of yellowing, I'm going to maybe push it a little bit further and, uh, not until like maybe the final weeks, except any of that sort of coloration change. But Brandon said he runs it pretty late into flower. So I'm going to try it out. It's not like a ammonium nitrate or something where it's going to stick around for as long. I think being in the amino uh, form, the plant hopefully is able to more readily uptake it and use it. I think three weeks is even like a normal fertilizers uptake time. So we've got 23.1 Celsius and 60% humidity. What is 23.1 Celsius in uh, America? <laughs> oh, it's 74 it's degrees. There. 74 up at the light area. Okay, that's, that's not, not bad, actually. As far as VPD goes, I think that's pretty close to a solid mark. Yep, I keep this inside the tent for when it's low humidity, especially in the winter. This really helps. Um, and then I have one in my bedroom, which, you know, pass, you know, try and keeps the, just the air around close to 50. Um, and just between those two, I'm able to get kind of, I'm able to dial in my humidity pretty well. You ever try a five gallon pots for autos? Yeah, I love growing in five gallons. That's my preferred method, but. And I have run five gallons in, in this tent before, but I can really only, you know, squeeze three in there. Maybe honestly, like it's better to just do two. Yeah. Um, you definitely start to have the plants either grow them about the size that they are in a five gallon and pack three in there, or you could fit more and try and uh, squeeze it out again in a very similar situation. I, I can definitely relate both to the pot size and plant number in that space. And uh, it, it presents a challenge, but. You're I find the five gallons well. going to guarantee that you have plenty of nutrition to get you at least most of the way through flour. Whereas three, three gallons, you're doing a lot of supplementing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, you know, because this has been flowering so much longer than the others, I already have my next run going. Um, and these two over here, I'm reusing soil from last run, my last pots that I did the three gallons in, and then these two are fresh soil. Um, and I can kind of tell that the fresh ones are a little more vigorous, but they're all different strains. So none of it really, um, it, I don't really know. But this one right here is a Sam Squanch OG from Mephisto Genetics. Um, this one, is OG Kush from Ganja Farmer Seed Company. This one is called American Pie, and I would have to double check. I think it's Pyramid Seeds. And then this one is Lemon Auto from Seedsman. So I got some UK genetics on this side and some United States genetics over here. Is Ganja Farmer related to like Marlon Asher or yeah. is it just, oh, okay, that's cool. I actually just recently reached out to him and invited him on the show. Haven't gotten a response yet, but uh, I figured it'd be cool to have like a, you know, prominent uh, person as far as the music goes. He raps about being a Ganja Farmer or sings about being a Ganja Farmer. Sure. It'd be awesome to have him on if, if they ever get back to me, but uh, I always kind of keep reaching out to people. And it's also really fun to have people from the community. Sam Squanch OG, I've seen some amazing plants come from that. 
Uh, that's the Mephistos. And I mean, you can just tell it's just like, like almost double tell. the size yeah. of the other ones. The bigger as fuck. Yeah, so, I've seen some monsters out of those seeds for sure. Like I when I first started seeing Otto's crush it, that was one of the first ones on the scene from Mephisto that I just was blown away by. Yeah, this already has a super like piney, citrusy smell early in veg. So I'm definitely super excited about it. I thought this would be a really good plant to show um, some like autoflower training techniques. Um, I like to top my autos but when they're young and i see them you know showing their sex makes me a little hesitant just because i've had them trigger to flower so like with this plant it's really easy to do some leaf tucking which i've been doing which is you know originally this branch was underneath and every day or two i'll come in here and just tuck the leaf under the branch and that way i don't have to get rid of any leaves but the branches get better the light and then you know basically the earliest you can get your side branching with autos the better especially in small pots because when they trigger early you're kind of left with the structure that they have and then they stretch and uh stack so the more you know different branches you have getting a head start before it flips the more likely you, you are to have like an even, even canopy of all you know viable good branches that are going to get good light and get big chunky buds with good advice most a lot of the people i see struggle get that one single like nug on like a one eighth to like seven gram plant because it just kind of gets stunted out and it's right. smaller than what you're grabbing right now, like would be the size of their fully flowered plant. And uh, Dr. MJ, you talk about sometimes, I think it's like by day 20 or 25, you're done topping or when is it that you like to uh, stop doing that kind of training on your autos? To autos? It, yeah, it depends on the flowering timeline that the breeder is kind of trying to convince me that the autos are going to go to, but for like a nine, 10 week auto, um, I'd go to, to like the fourth week. So it's almost enough time for me to get a main line done, but that's usually when I end up doing the modified manifold style with only two toppings. But yeah, about then you can, I, I, I would agree. Once they start seeing a lot of pistols like that, I don't like to top them anymore either. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about that Sam Squanch OG. Would you be done? Because at that point, I'm I'm feeling nervous about topping it too, because I'd be a little worried it might not recover. It's at that always point. tough to only see a plant once and you just get this sync or this, you know, um, out of time sort of snapshot of the plant. Um, I, I would rather, you know, if I knew the plant and had been growing the plant and sort of seen how it was behaving. But if those pistols have all just like shot up in the last couple of days, I think you're done topping that plant um yeah that would be my my idea but again yeah i agree it, with that it kind of depends on e each individual plant that's why i always say when people ask about flowering like i'm like i only see this one snapshot of the plant i don't know if you know i'd like to know the plant and how it's been changing over the last couple of days um they, uh, a, a hard I top. top still you could do a, yeah it's still vegging yeah completely and well, there's a difference you know, between like a, a mini top and a hard top. Like if you're just taking off the very right. top node versus like chopping it in half. Right. Um, those you are know, two the different. The real rule toppings. here, guys, is as long as it's still stretching, you can top. I mean, the plant will recover from that. It's just that does it have enough growth time left 
you know, to sort of grow back from the injury that it suffered. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, you can still get away with that because the plant's not done growing. It's not done with its vegetative growth until the end of the, the flowering stretch, the end of the bolt. Um, and any time during that, you can get away with these heavy-handed training techniques because the plant is, has the sort of vegetative growth energy to recover from that. It's crazy how vigorous it is during the stretch and what you can get away with. Uh, yeah, right. So the only plant. reason we don't top then is because you just, you know, usually you end up with less because there's only, you know, a week left or something. There's not enough time for it to come back stronger than it had been before. I want to uh, echo Dr. MJ's words here. You know, when you're going to be going in and doing what I'm doing, which is like low stress training, just kind of bending the branches down, like, especially at first, like, just be careful, you know, you feel what your branches can and can't handle and like, be gentle at first. And like, because I've literally come into my tent after listening to the podcast and hearing Dr. MJ being like, yeah, the downsides of LST is you could like snap your branches and, you know, it can end up being high stress training really quick. I'll literally be keeping that in mind, trying to gently do it and I'll rip my branches off. So, <laughs> so I'm curious why you're bending those branches rather than the main stem. So I could super crop it. I could, you know, kind of this is yeah, what I like that. yesterday is I gave it a big one of these. Right. So I will do this too. And have you guys is, ever seen the the this is probably the bit best bang for your buck kind of move right here. Right. Yeah. Few days, you're definitely gonna get your lower growth going. That's how I would go about it for sure. I I like being in here every day and spending more time than I need to with my plants. So, you know, it's not necessarily like the easiest way, but I I will every day just kind of like do little manipulations. Um, you know, just even with branches like these, if I can just lower them down rather than them being up like this i feel that they're more likely to start growing outward you're 100 right sure on that. that's true and especially as early, as early as i can possibly get any side branching with the autos uh is is better in my opinion so especially in these first like three to four weeks i'll do a little more than i might need to just to try and get you know good side branching so i don't end up with a one cola spear I guess I think that you may be slowing those side branches down more than sort of helping them grow up more. I, I usually like to do the top like you did to the other one, right? And, and you know, training the top down like that will give those other branches the, the feeling like they're now the new top of the plant. And that will encourage them to, to grow up quickly. The plant always sort of wants to grow up. So when you bend it, when you bend it down, the plant's going to try to stand back up and, and sort of spend some energy doing that. Um, but I, I definitely like the the gentle touch that you're taking and the time that you're, you're spending on the, the plants. Just take it a little easier on the lower branches. Yeah, I hear that. Um, and I think you're probably right. And another reason that I do it is that it also strengthens them. Right now, because it's so packed in here, I don't have a fan running. So basically I have my intake here blocked by a fabric pot and then I have my outtake right here. So I have a little bit of like a passive air current, but because I don't have fans running, my plants are a little weak. So 
that's another reason why I kind of slap them around. Can you move your outtake, your exhaust to the top of the tent? Yeah. So I was planning on doing that and I will, if I were going to keep growing here, I would switch it, but I just, um, I couldn't find the thing that hangs my carbon filter up here when I was setting it up. So I just decided to do it like this, but normally I would have it, you know, reaching out of the top up yeah. there would be off. Get the hot air out of there. Yeah. I would agree. You could just modify what you have there and just run a duct off, you know, off of where you're that end of that duct and just go up to the top. So the insect was still coming out of the top. Although that might be bad with the extra curve and how strong your fan is. Tomorrow, hey, you can put your, your carbon filter on the other yeah. end of the line too. You can put your carbon filter outside and blow through the carbon filter instead of suck through the carbon filter. Right. I do have it like that. Yeah. yeah. Right now, my carbon filter goes under my bed. And uh, it was kind of keeping my bed warm this winter. So that's why <laughs> I, I, uh, I got to love the ingenuity cool. there. That's uh, cool. Yeah. With, with that said, Spartan Grown, it is that time where we usually allow you to uh, get your final thoughts and shout out. And before you head on over to the Michigan Bros Grow Show. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks for the show, Jack. Uh, everybody on the panel, it's always a pleasure. Um, shout out to uh, Chad. They gave me a lot of love today. So I appreciate that. And uh, I'll just see you guys next week. More of the same. And uh, always just keep growing. Never stop. That's how we win. Just keep growing. Couldn't agree Peace more, out, man. We're here to support you no matter what. And uh, we love you. And show some love to the Michigan Bros. Grow Show tonight at uh, 6 o'clock here on the West Coast, 9 o'clock over there on the East Coast. Uh, make sure yeah, you we go have check them out. Special guest, Mr. Grow It, I think, is tonight. So. They'll be coming up here in 15 minutes. Cool stuff. I just saw him and Painted Lady just had a video go like over 100,000 views. And I think that's like three times the amount of subscribers he has, which is a damn <laughs> nice. good result there. So good for them. And uh, cheers. And hope you guys have a great night over there. And fuck Thanks, the MCA. Guys. So thank you, Lou Grown, for, for showing us your plants. That was fun. I always like going inside people's gardens like that. I got you added back now on the computer. I just uh, saw your other account. So I saw the uh, phone version. And now we got the computer version. Uh, we're echoing. I just muted your phone, but uh, we got you back on the computer, Lou. And uh, thank yeah, to echo what Dr. MJ was just saying, totally thank you so much for uh, showing off your garden, asking questions, and, and just showing your plants. I mean, it does take courage to come on here and show off your garden and uh, share details about the breeders that you're running and the results that you're having. So that was uh, very awesome of you. So thank you so much. Thanks all for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate the advice and uh, appreciate all the content y'all put out. So. Do you have any final questions before uh, we're probably going to wrap it up here in about 10 minutes as the train goes roaring by here in San Diego. Uh, but yeah, any final thoughts, questions, or comments before we uh, wrap it up? Um. Oh, I'll just sit back and smoke along with y'all while, while you wrap up the show. Um, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate the spotlight this evening. Always happy to spotlight growers in our community, good people uh, growing this awesome plant and, uh, you know, just sharing the good attitude and, and we're all learning together. I think that the people that are humble enough to realize that we don't know everything, we're all trying to get better and we're all trying to do our very best. And I love hearing about everybody's different ways. And as a... Uh, 
What was that? You no, know, I know everything. Speak for yourself, Jack. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I forget the Tao is here sometimes because he's a disembodied voice. You're like, I have to explain all the time that we're, it goes without saying. But you don't have to say it every time. Yeah, we we forget. We, we uh, already know. Tao does know all. <laughs> for anybody who forgot. Great, all-knowing Tao. So while we have twelve minutes left, I want to let the chat start firing off some questions because I love uh, chat interaction. We haven't done that much. If I'll say we haven't done that at all tonight. So I want to cram in a few questions real quickly, rapid fire, lightning round. So if you have any short, quick questions that you'd like to be answered, now would be the time to do it. You can tag us if you want individually, or you can just drop your question in the chat and we'll go through and pull some of those and answer them before we do our final shout outs in about five minutes. Yeah, let me take a second here to, to just invite everybody to sign up for the Spring Auto Flower Challenge. Louie, you should come and uh, grow with us in the Spring Auto Flower Challenge. Everybody else starts 420 bunch of giveaways sign up at cocoforcannabis.com forward slash challenge and it's free and it's just a lot of fun to grow together so i wanted to get that in there any questions yet no not yet actually i was i was looking through them and um i was just going to second the recommendation to check out the spring auto flower challenge and cocoforcannabis.com generally they have a live chat over there. I think that maybe some of the listeners might not know about already. If you have questions that like you can't get to the live chat here tonight to ask us on the podcast, but you want to go be part of a growing community online who are really friendly, informed, and helpful and not going to bash and flame you for asking maybe a new grower question, they're actually going to be really like uh, thankful and, and happy that you're there and, and try and walk you through whatever issues you might be dealing with or just curiosities that you might have. Like, hey, I'm thinking about getting growing. Uh, what are some good tents or what are some good lights or what are some good breeders? You know, those are some good questions. If I was starting all over again right now and didn't know anything that I would like to have that information about. Yeah, it's a great community. And there's thank you for that, Jack. And there's a lot of really good people, a lot of people that, that frequent here, like Crack Babies, DWC and Smart Poker and uh, Christy Wannabe that, that are really good growers that give up a lot of their time just hanging out in the chat, asking, answering a bunch of questions. And it's kind of a, a low stress way to go in as a new grower and get some advice, um, even just to sort of lurk around and read the conversations. They're generally good knowledge being shared over there. So thank you for that, Jack. Absolutely. And we got a kind of question. It's a multi-parter, um, but basically they're saying that they're having some issues popping seeds. They're wondering if hydrogen peroxide might help. And in my experience, uh, um, I would say yes. A small amount, even just like a 3% solution of H2O2, uh, both soaking the seeds and on the paper towel, if you're going to drop it in the Tupperware, like you described, uh, Darren Littlejohn. And that may help prevent some of the pathogens that may be traveling on the seed, but it also uh, provides a little bit more oxygen, which is part of the germination process. Another thing that I like to do on occasion, if you're having trouble is um, to scuff the seed and or crack it prior. So if you can get like a sandpaper, put it in like a film canister and, and shake it up just a couple of times, that'll scarify or scuff the outside to allow the water more easily to penetrate really old seeds cracking it. There's like a Woodshed 13 has a seed cracker, 2020 Mendocino has one, or you can even use like forceps, like medical forceps, and just very gently squeeze it until you hear a tiny little crack. And as soon as it cracks, you can put it in water or paper towel, and you'll almost always, in my experience, have 100% germination once it um, has been cracked. As long as you don't crush it. Yeah, just don't smush. <laughs> so Yeah, wanna... that's the fine line that you're working on, on the cracking. Yeah. I 
I recommend cracking to people as a last ditch effort because you can do that after you've tried to germinate a seed, after you've soaked it for a while and you're like, this seed sucks. If Especially if you're like in paper towels or something like that, it's been wet the whole time and you still have access to it, then then for sure you can try cracking it at that point because it, it may be a, you know, just not able to open its own seed. Um, I definitely endorse scuffing and I have a video on my YouTube channel about germination um, and I definitely scuff. I will also say that one thing I didn't mention that uh, can really help is proper heat. So at the very beginning of things, I got a heat mat, but I didn't get one that had the thermostat or any sort of monitoring. And those things get really, really freaking hot, depending on which ones you're getting. I got a cheap Chinese one. Uh, Lou Groen is showing off his little seed uh, scuffing vial over there, I think. That's uh, some sandpaper inside of like a old, uh, looks like a quarter ounce jar of medical cannabis uh or maybe it's a film canister i'm not sure but we can't see it because you're talking it's from uh 2020 mendocino they gave it out with some of their seeds oh okay cool they also have a little wooden um device that kind of like ratchets down onto the seeds that you can use to crack them uh the one that i have from woodshed 13 he um it's like a uh corkscrew and it, you can slowly do it i've only squished one seed and it was kind of experimenting because i kind of had to see how far i could go if i just go until i heard that first pop and just take it really slow like quarter turn or like even like an eighth of a spin at a time you hear a tiny little crack and then you stop and then unwind it but if the one time i went further it was like a crack and then a smush that was the only one that didn't germinate um, but i definitely think scarifying or uh, scuffing can yeah. be a great way to help but the heating thing the heat mat one with a temperature gauge or like wrap it in a towel so it just doesn't get your stuff so hot take a heat gun a laser get an actual temperature of what your uh, cell is that you're growing it off of and just make sure it's not like in the 90s plus i think if it gets too hot you can fry them but between 70 and mid 80s seeds tend to pop a lot better than if it's like colder in the 50s 60s 40s things like that I like to be warmer, like 85. Um, and yeah, you know, with you have a, mat, a heat mat without a, a thermostat, I think two layers of a good bath towel um, between the container that your seeds are in and that heat mat should keep you just about fine. Um, but I, I, it is better to have a, a heat controller. Most of the heat controllers have these little probes and you gotta be, I, I now have gotten to taping it down to the stupid heat mat so it doesn't get like knocked off or whatever. And, and you know, then the heat mat just stays on because the probe isn't getting hot because the probe's like on the floor somewhere or whatever. I see some people even put the probe like in the soil and then maybe it could be heat mat to heat mat. It depends then... on, yeah. If you're germinating in your soil, um, yes, that will generally get, things pretty warm um so you know it's going to be a while before the the media itself actually gets up to those temperatures so i wouldn't do mid 80s on, on that if i put the probe in the media itself um you know 80 would be probably the max and probably 78 or 80 somewhere in there good points and at that point we're at 555 here on the west coast and i think it'd be a perfect time for us to wrap up uh lou grown as our uh guest of the evening i'd like to give you the opportunity to give your final thoughts and shout out let the people know where they can find you my cat's showing you his butt unfortunately <laughs> um yeah definitely want to encourage people to get on dr mj coco's grow challenge and use his website it's a really great resource the way that i found a lot of the products i use like my light and uh 
you know, carbon filters, fans, like his grow guide is super in depth. And even if you're not a cocoa grower, there's like a ton to learn from there. So I definitely recommend to be on there if you haven't been there yet. Um, big ups to Spartan Grown earlier. You know, the best thing we can do is grow our own. And, you know, I want to encourage, you know, the reason I come on is to show people how simple and easy and, you know, I literally just do it right next to my bed in my room. If you have four feet by two feet or not even, you know, you can make it happen. If you have less than, you, you know, you can get started with a setup like this for less than $600 easily. So for like everything, everything, everything you need. So, you know, I definitely want people to be growing their own. And like I was saying, big ups to Spartan for making a stand for, you know, home growing rights. That's one of the most important things we can hold on to. Luckily up here in Maine, uh, we have a great system. You know, I'm a medical patient and I'm blessed to be one and I'm, I have great access to products, but also I can grow my own and super empower, empowering. So um, big ups to y'all, big ups to the home growing community. Uh, love all of y'all on the panel. And I really appreciate y'all for having me. It was an honor and a pleasure, honestly, what you said about everybody being able to do it for the most part, I agree with. There's some, some limited exceptions, but uh, like you said, six, it could be 600, it could be a little more, a little less, but the beauty is that doesn't all have to be a one-time cost. You're not like going and getting everything all at one time, unless you're trying to get everything set up before you get started, but you could get a tent and then get a light and then piece like over time, uh, you know, get your setup going. And like he showed right there, just a small two by four in your bedroom is enough to get yourself some plants and start having some harvest. So uh, cheers to you, Lou Grown. Thank you so much for coming. And as you mentioned, Dr. MJ, I want to pass it over to him next so he can give his final thoughts and shout out. Absolutely. Much grower love, Lou Grown. Uh, thanks for taking us into your garden, showing us your plants. Thanks for all the love you threw back in my direction. And I'm um, happy you're going to grow in the SFAC. Everybody else should come and grow in the spring autoflower challenge. Starts in just, what, 10 days. Uh, 420 is coming. Um, we're also doing a huge giveaway on 420. The Grower Love giveaway this month is the Photon Tech XT 1000 Watt CO2 Pro. So if you need a new light, this is like a beast of a light that we're going to give away on 420. You just have to go to the deals and discounts page and register for that. And um, I, I think that I'm not sure who's out there. I think Spartan's up there this week and maybe Matthew Gates is up there this week, but we're always putting fellow panelists from the show up there that you follow their accounts, you get extra chances to win. Um, and sign up for the SFAC. And I am going to have a premiere here coming soon. I'm not entirely sure. And there'll be a giveaway in that one too. So anyways, I'm Dr. Coco from Coco for Cannabis. Grow love, everyone. Thank you for joining us, Dr. MJ. And next up, we got Noah the Grower live from the garden. <laughs> yeah, I uh, had a great time today. And um, yeah, I, uh, I want to second what the, the guest said earlier. Uh, this is all about uh, grow on your own and uh, anybody can do it for cheap. And uh, that's the whole thing. The whole reason I was brought on this show and the, the cheap home grow aspect um, and just learning to, to have your own product and know what's in it and be able to have an impact on your own uh, wallet and just be able to take 
take control of your, your own future when it comes to smoking and you just grow on anything, anything, you know, if you can't grow uh, cannabis, then grow whatever you can grow. And just, it's a fun experience. I love it. And I hope others that are listening to this enjoy it too. And uh, I'm Noah the Grower with two E's on Instagram. You can find me there and I'll see you all next week. Always a pleasure to have you, Noah. The garden is looking absolutely killer for a guy who has been doing uh, fully organic soils for, I think, less than a year now to have uh, such a killer setup crushing like that already uh, really shows your experience and, and your skill level in the garden and your passion, care, and love for the plant. And uh, even just what you were just saying shows uh, you really care about this community and, and making sure everybody has access. So thank you so much for joining us. And next up, Matthew Gates. Yeah, what else is to say but to echo all the good vibes, right? I am Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist, and I've been doing this for 12 years now. I really enjoyed having uh, somebody so articulate on the show, and I really appreciate the showmanship. Uh, so thank you very much for being on and showing us your grow um, and also how you grow. If you want to find more information about pests and plant health in general, you can find me on Instagram at SyncAngel, on Twitter at SyncAngel. For professional inquiries, Zenthanol.com. And for free footage and information, YouTube.com slash Zenthanol. I also have a Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can join it. You can access my Discord channel where I can answer your questions about uh basically various IPM questions in general. And there's also a community of about 100 people or more there to help you out as well so if you're interested in that check it out great stuff for sure and it's a uh, very important information often overlooked but uh i think it's critical for long-term success and, and preparedness so that you just never get yourself into a situation where uh, you feel like the garden's out of your control and you can't do anything to fix it so definitely make sure to support matthew and uh, check out some of his free work over there on youtube and all of the social medias and i believe last and certainly not least we've got the american one <coughs> Jack, as always, thanks for hosting. And Lou Grown, thanks for coming on and showing your garden. It's always great to see plants growing. And that plant definitely has some awesome color and it was beautiful. And uh, I'll reiterate what Lou said about Spartan. I love that his conviction stands and he uh, lives by it, not just talks about it. And uh, yeah, it's always good to be here. I'm always uh, glad to hear Russ Brandon and Dr. MJ and Zenthanol talk about their expertise on things and always great to see everyone in chat and yeah uh, have a great rest of your Sunday and we'll see you next week with that said I'm your host Jack Greenstock you can find me on Instagram at Jack Greenstock and uh, my cat is mauling me for love and attention which usually means it's time to wrap this thing up uh, if you want to email me jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com and you can also find me on Twitter jack underscore greenstock and if you would like a copy of the book, 50 Strains of Green, go to 50strains.com, 50strains.com for that book if you're still interested. But with that said, uh, thank you all for coming. This was a great episode. I love the Back to Basics, and I love that we were able to spotlight a great member of our community here tonight and that we had a great uh, little bit of chat interaction there at the end. Next week, we'll have a lot more chat interaction, hint, hint. So make sure you show up next week if you want to get your questions answered. Uh, much love. Jack Green Socks, signing out. Catch you all next week. Girl love, everyone. Cheers, girl love.